first, we're pleased to welcome back Dana Morse to LNL. Dana is the ABC Federal Reporter for Indigenous Affairs. She's a Prunjaman and a Palawan woman, and she joins me on the blower from Melbourne. Welcome back. And it's been, well, a difficult time for Indigenous Australia with the death of the Queen. There's been understandable criticism of the way the death was uh, covered in the media and the government's handling of the commemorations. Your thoughts on that debate, Dana? Yeah, good evening, Philip. It's good to be back. Look, it has. It's been a, a big few weeks uh, on the Indigenous Affairs beat, and particularly around the the death of the Queen. Uh, it was a really tense time for a lot of Indigenous people because uh, I, I'm sure you experienced and the listeners have experienced. It was like rolling coverage for about four days, uh, and you sort of couldn't come up for air without hearing all about the monarchy and, you know, these sort of uh, really, really heartfelt tributes for the Queen. But for Indigenous people, the monarchy is a really complex thing. We are a colonised country in Australia and for a lot of people that I was speaking to, uh, they didn't feel that revering the Queen in her death was appropriate, particularly for a country that is on the verge of really important discussions around uh, Indigenous people's place in their own country. It was a, a really interesting discussions that I've had with several people and it, it obviously sparked protests as well on the National uh, Day of Mourning last week. I was here in Melbourne and went along to the Melbourne protests to cover what was happening there. And what happened in the morning was a really actually a lovely ceremony that was like a healing ceremony because in Melbourne there's been, uh, they've lost several really high profile important elders from the community, including uh, Uncle Archie Roach and Uncle Jack Charles. So there was a lot of acknowledgement for them. Uh, and then it sort of morphed into this protest where there was a lot of visceral anger. Um, this is also a community that has suffered two deaths in custody in the last two months. Uh, and they don't want to be uh, sitting back and looking at the legacy of the monarchy when they can still feel the boot on their neck that came from colonisation. Well, so th it's there not was this an easy time. absolutely dramatic reluctance to acknowledge the, the role of the Crown and the ongoing trauma. There was, and it was, you know, really difficult as well for some of the Indigenous leaders because a lot of people did feel that way. They didn't want to celebrate the Queen because it's not appropriate. But also putting your head up as the Indigenous person who's going to speak out and say that that's not right, that's point, painting a target on your back. And when the country is hyper-focused on this, this death, this issue, you know, everybody's talking about it, it's dominating the TV and the news cycle, that can be sending a lot of people your way if you're going to put your head up and your hand up and say, this is not right. So I think well, that's Dana, why we were my, a my, slow my, to come to it. My fellow Republicans decided to go very, very quiet until the, uh, you know, the brouhaha was over, but it was much more difficult for First Nations people. That's right. It's it is it's difficult not just for Indigenous Australians and people who want a republic and the Prime Minister is among those and he was the one sort of leading the discussion saying now is not the time 
to talk about a republic. And it sort of reminded me of the situations in America when they have um, mass shootings and they say now's not the time to talk about gun control. Absolutely. Well, if not now, when? Yeah, and it's like the, the, when there's a huge sort of uh, major weather event and we're told now's not the time to talk about climate change. It's a nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, I think it, it should be seen as a catalyst and it should be seen as an opportunity, I think, for the leaders in our country to show that there can be respectful nuanced debate and, and we don't have to agree all the time and you don't have to present one viewpoint all the time. You can be respectful and present multiple different viewpoints and I think that was a missed opportunity from the Prime Minister in particular. Well, suddenly we had a, uh, a public holiday uh, and I, I wonder how the protests went in Melbourne. Well, they were they were really full on. I'm I was there when they um, a couple of their elders cut the Union Jack out of the flag and they poured blood on the oh fake blood I should say on the flag. I know I had colleagues in Brisbane uh, where they burned the flag, uh, colleagues in Sydney where they also marched, and you know there's a lot of anger in this community, and it is a community on the verge of a reckoning. We've never been as close to recognition of rights as we are right now. So when you're that close to, to a real moment in our civil rights um, sort of fabric of the country, it's also bringing to a head all of these different issues that are, you know, feeding into the oppression of Indigenous people. They're more front of mind than ever when we're talking about recognition. So it, it was a tense protest to be at, to be honest, but it was um, not, it was, you know, not violent or anything like that. And I've been to my fair share of protests as a, as a reporter in Melbourne. We had a lot of anti-vax and anti-lockdown protests last year. Um, it wasn't that vibe at all, but you could feel the, the visceral anger in this community. I'm talking to Dana Morse, ABC Federal Reporter for Indigenous Affairs. Now, I do my best to avoid sport, Dana, but uh, there's been a report which has revealed some shocking behaviour from one of the AFL clubs to uh, its young Indigenous players. Yeah, so uh, the ABC's Russell Jackson has once again completely, uh, you know, shone a light on the AFL, which he's he's done in a number of different ways, and but this time it's Hawthorne Football Club and their treatment, particularly of First Nations players, and I think you know for people who might not be familiar with the allegations, uh, they are that the coaches uh, sort of bullied First Nations players, demanded one couple terminate a pregnancy, uh, separated for young First Nations players from their partners. Um, you know, just really when you when you frame that in the context of the stolen generations and the way that Indigenous people have had their lives controlled, it's really off. And, you know, the, the two coaches that have been named in the allegations, Alistair Clarkson uh, and Chris Fagan, they're, you know, Clarkson's about to go onto a position with North Melbourne. He was, you know, in a bit of a bidding war for who was going to snap him up as a club coach. That's sort of been put on ice for now. Um, and, and Chris Fagan is saying his family are devastated by the allegations. But for Aboriginal people, you know, this is Hawthorne Football Club, but it, it could be 
anywhere, I think. It's, it's really, you know, it's shining a light on the way that Indigenous people are treated in white institutions. Dana, I don't begin to understand this. Urging an Aboriginal couple to abort a child... That's what one of the allegations are, and it's just, it's completely horrendous and and shocking. And, you know, they've been for, you know, I will say as well, they've been strenuously denied at this point by the people involved. But, you know, it just doesn't seem like the kind of thing you'd make up, is it? Like it's, what, what could you possibly have to gain by making up an allegation like that? So it's it's incredibly troubling. And a lot of these young Indigenous men are recruited to AFL and it's a really difficult place for them to be. You know, uh, there are a lot of legends, Indigenous legends in this game and they're recruited as young men and told they're going to be the next big thing and indoctrinated into a culture that almost controls every aspect of their lives and they're told, you know, you have to do this if you want to be successful. You have to be this if you want to, you know, be the next, you know, great Buddy Franklin or Cyril Rioli. And what ends up happening is their identities are erased, they are controlled by a club and ultimately very few people, Indigenous or not, make it to that sort of superstar level of AFL and then they end up, you know, spat out by the system in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s and what else can they do? They've been playing football for so long. What does football then give back to them and often, you know, it's nothing. Mm. Well, from that horror story to something which is uh, good news, the cashless debit card is no more. Yes, so the uh, legislation passed the Senate last night uh, and essentially what it means is that the cashless debit card uh, will be, people will be allowed to leave from October 4th. Now, that's everywhere that it's in operation apart from um, the Northern Territory or Cape York. So for those who are currently in those two jurisdictions on the card, the card will remain compulsory. But that's while the government is uh, changing things. They're making an enhanced system that will replace both the cashless debit card and the NT Basics card, which has been around for years and years, uh, from July next year. So it's an opt-out system. It is at this point, yeah. And that's sort of what the government has agreed to after a long period of consultation with lots of different communities Um, because, you know, we heard from the Auditor General's office that this card was not doing what it was set out to do. You know, it was designed to reduce um, spending on alcohol and gambling and encourage good social behaviours and there was never any indication that it actually achieved those outcomes since it was in operation. So, But in individual communities, there is anecdotal evidence and anecdotal conversations that it has worked and it is working for some people. So they didn't want to strip it away completely, but the government does want to move in the long term for all forms of income management to be voluntary everywhere. Now, finally, earlier this year, uh, Constable Zachary Rolfe was found not guilty of the murder of the uh, Unanduma teenager. Uh, But the inquest into his death, which is currently taking place in Alice, has revealed some shocking evidence. 
Yeah, this has been a, a really difficult inquest to sort of keep up with. Uh, so it is the coronial inquest into the death of Kumjay Walker. Uh, and what's come out as a result of that inquest is... Um, basically racist text messages uh, from Zachary Rolfe to other people who worked in the police force with him. And it paints a really disturbing picture of uh, what he thought of the community that he was supposed to be protecting. Um, and and, and it probably speaks to a broader problem within the police force and what they see their role as, as whether they're in protectors or enforcers but it's been you know horrible things that have come out that I don't really care to repeat but you know slurs against Aboriginal people simply for existing and living in their own community where Zachary Rolfe was held a position of power and was responsible um, for for helping people and it just doesn't seem like from the evidence that's come out that he had really any respect for the people he was supposed to be working alongside. Dana, thank you very much. Dana Morse, ABC Federal Reporter for Indigenous Affairs. Dana is uh, from the Planjamarinara Parawa mob. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.